Hello. Welcome back to Soundplay. I'm your host, Alyssa, and today I have two stories for you. One produced by Salem State graduate Samantha Flaherty, and another by Alba Melendez. Both of these stories talk about passions and pursuit and overcoming hard things. So in a similar vein to last episode, I want to start off with a short recipe for some tea. I'm sorry to all the coffee drinkers out there, but hey, maybe you'll like this one. It's hearty, with just a little bit of spice. And it's really simple. Honestly, I don't even know if I can call it a recipe. So first, I use rooibos tea, which is a red-colored herb typically found in South Africa. If you want to try this recipe out, you can use any old black tea bag you have, but if you can find rooibos tea, which can be found in most grocery stores or herbal shops, that's the one I'm going with. Pour boiling water over your tea bag or loose leaf tea strainer, and then dip a cinnamon stick or two into your mug. You can add in sugar, alternative sweeteners, or honey, and let it steep for about three to five minutes. I like mine with a heaping teaspoon of honey and whatever milk I have on hand at the time. Okay, so now that you have a nice beverage, here's Sam Flaherty with The Gem Shop. By the way, I see more colors than you do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Miranda Hughes is a young creative who sees more colors than most as she shares her life with an all-immersive neurological condition, one that distorts and enhances her senses. My cat's meowing just then just had a little like purple streak going through the room as she ran through and meowed. A lot of people might think, well, that's invasive, that's distracting, and at times it is. But to me, it's the same as you're looking around a room and seeing all the colors. It's not disturbing, it's just natural. The condition is known as synesthesia, and it affects sensory perception. As a child, Miranda was an avid reader and writer and she started noticing her sensory habits when she was in first grade while she was learning numbers and easy math. Each number had their own distinct color. It also happened a lot as she read, an activity she has always been passionate about. I remember words having a lot of color. I remember thinking on the stories and seeing the color of the words. To me, the world was just this beautiful, colorful thing. So it didn't feel abnormal because, you know, as a child, you're always absorbing information. So I thought it was just a part of the world. While she reads, pigments of all kinds fly from the pages. Each letter has their own color, and when combined to make words, they make new colors. Sometimes the colors are blended, and sometimes they're solid. But most times, they don't end up retaining their independent colors. For Miranda, the letter I is a white letter, but the word individual is magenta, kind of violet. 
They just show up once the word is made known to her. There's no real meaning to these colors. But living with synesthesia isn't just about seeing the colorful beauty of the world. Sometimes it can be really overwhelming to deal with, especially out in public with all the advertisements, music, and screens. It adds this extra dimension to her daily life that can be hard to push through. I mean, this is why writing is so important to Miranda. It's an expressive outlet. Her voice. I did writing because it helped me tell stories, which was my favorite thing to do. And I kept doing that all the way through early high school. And then it was one of the things that my dad really came after. So I stopped writing. I stopped giving myself the writer label and just did not produce creative work. And it sucked because it was just another form of stealing my voice through abuse. For safety purposes, Miranda hasn't been involved with her father for over six years. He was an ultimate manipulator. My dad is a sociopath. The first few years of my life, it was mostly neglect. And when you're born into that, you think it's normal. So my mom did a lot to try and compensate to make us feel very loved and such, but then she had almost died. And when that happened, my dad really kind of turned the whole family against itself. More traumatic-based things were coming into play in my life. When I was 11, I was trained to believe I wasn't human. I was a defective creature that hurt people by existing, which is how he got me to never talk about it with people. He taught me things like, if they came up and asked if something was wrong, I have to act like things are okay because otherwise I'm hurting them and I'm gonna go to hell. Really intense stuff for an 11 year old to hear. There's a lot of things would be better if you were dead. He convinced me that we were a family in poverty and that if I did things like go to a doctor or get socks, if I needed socks, I was gonna ruin the family financially. During this time, Miranda knew something was wrong but she didn't have the language for gaslighting and sociopathy as a little kid. With sociopaths, people are not people, they're toys. They're things to play with. And his game was to see how long he could kind of keep us under his control. Miranda tried many things like seeing a school therapist once she got into college and started studying social work. But her father caught wind and shut it down, ruining her school finances and forcing her to sign extreme student loans. Soon after pulling out for a semester to recover from a near-death experience, Miranda realized she wasn't doing what she loved. Eventually, she switched out of social work and out of art history and into a subject she's adored since childhood. One of my electives was creative writing. I was like, nothing else, it's an easy A. And I fell back in love with it all over again. And I was like, this is something I love doing. You sit back and you're like, am I doing what I love? Because as soon as I die, I don't get that chance to, to do it again. And why should I wait till old age to do it? Some people don't make it to old age. I almost did it. 
At this point in time, Miranda had re-entered the writing world with her synesthesia fully acknowledged. Some people would get paint colors in the past from things like minerals or plants. And in some ways with my synesthesia, I feel like it's the same thing. We have a, a rabbit that lives outside that's inspired writing scenes and just moments and color codes that I later touch on. So I feel liberated and therefore I feel creative. Being creative means not having tons of confines, but I have enough structure that I can't go too far and totally miss the mark. Despite the box she was forced into as a child and is placed in as a creative, Miranda persevered. Synesthesia helped a lot, not early on, mostly because I wasn't aware of it and I had to really kind of suppress who I was. I wasn't allowed to show big emotion. My creative writing got mocked or ripped up or whatever and I wasn't supposed to have this voice. So suddenly I'm free from all of this. I had something that was helping me process information, my synesthesia, and now I had something that was helping me convey information, my writing. I suddenly had a means of language that I'd never had before. It's like releasing an animal that's lived in a zoo back into the wild. Even if they're free, they're not equipped to handle that. And at the same time as all of this, I was really learning that I'm human. I was coming out of that brainwashing. I was acknowledging, wow, I've been human this whole time. What the heck does that mean? How does one express emotion appropriately? How does one experience the world and tell it to other people? How do you get along with people who've known that they're people? It was this fascinating amalgamation of three things that I've had this whole time, but just got to experience for the first time all at once. Miranda's synesthesia helped her reintegrate into society. My, my synesthesia helps me communicate with people in ways I otherwise struggle with, especially because of the stuff I went through trauma-wise. It's helped me connect to people and learn what it means to be human. If anything, it's really helped me, I think, with empathy. When I worked in social work, for example, and someone was getting really worked up, and if I could kind of match what their calm voice was, and they seem a bit more willing to come back to it. This extra layer of cognition not only helps Miranda communicate better and understand others better, but it has helped her process and cope with the trauma she endured as a child that eventually turned into PTSD. Synesthesia became her superpower. I had a tendency, because I had post-traumatic stress disorder, to spiral into flashbacks or big emotions, or I default back to the way my dad had taught me to think. I had to not only unlearn it, but then relearn good things. And synesthesia helped me with that because suddenly I had language again. I was getting my writing voice back. When I had moments where I was spiraling out of control, one of the things that happened with me is, is my words kind of beat me up. And I noticed every time I started to spiral, if I hit certain words, because I had a tendency to repeat certain things, especially when I crusted over a certain amount of anxiety, that I would just lose control. So I started to go, okay, when you see this color of word, like when the color hits you before you can go, just stop. And so my synesthesia helped me first take back control of my language to myself which was a very big deal because I had only had these awful words in my head for years. And suddenly I'm clearing them out and I'm making them my own again. There's this great song by the band Arian, A-R-I-O-N, and they have a line that I absolutely love. It says, I rule the ruins of what we have. 
And that was a big thing between kind of my dad and I, because my dad had my brain for so many years, but it was mine again. And even if it was broken, these are my ruins. I get to choose what happens to them. Though brain conditions are personally exclusive, Miranda synesthesia has bled outside of herself and into the community. There's something to be said about seeing people and realizing that there's so much more to them. I like being able to go in and be like, I have synesthesia and suddenly a different side of people come out. This curiosity, this human sense. I think we're all born with wonder and curiosity that we kind of stamp out as we get older. And I love just bringing it back out. I get to be that person. For WMWM 91.7 and the Soundplay podcast in Salem, MA, I'm Sam F. Peace. Every time I listen to that story, I feel inspired to go write or paint something. Another story that inspires me, but in a different way, is Alba Melendez's Becca Take Sevens. Here it is now. Cross the finish line and you can do it, you'll break history. on the ground and I was in excruciating pain. Everybody knows about this. How embarrassing. Becca Peasy is an American marathon runner, constantly defying the odds. She began competing in races at the very young age of six years old. So my dad was a runner and we grew up in Belmont, Massachusetts, which is just like six miles away from the Boston Marathon Marathon finish line. And he took me to my first race when I was six years old. And it was a five mile race in my hometown. And I won my age group because I think I was the only one in my age group of 18 and under. So I remember getting in the car and, and thinking like, this is awesome. I got all this like swag and what a great feeling this was. And that led me to sign up for my next race and my next race. And I never stopped. And she indeed never stopped. She competed in track and field and cross country during her high school and college years. After college, she gave birth to her daughter and managed to work at a daycare she owned and an ice cream parlor, all on top of pursuing her running journey. Her passion for running would eventually introduce her to a competition that could break American history and make the Guinness Book of World Records. The competition consisted of an impressive series of seven marathons in seven continents in only seven consecutive days. So I um, read about this race called the World Marathon Challenge, and I reached out to the race director, uh, who is from Ireland, Richard Donovan, and I said, tell me more about this race. I'm really thinking about doing it. And he's like, well, there were two failed attempts by American females. If you cross the finish line and you can do it, you'll, you'll break history. You know, an American female has never run the seven marathons, seven continents in seven days, has ever completed it. And I was like, oh. I got this. Like, how often do we get to break a world record? And I'm like, I'm in. 
Becca dedicated the entire year before competing to intense training. She went to Canada to train in freezing temperatures to prepare for the marathon in Antarctica. And she even bought a sauna to train in for hot climates like Africa and Australia. It was one year of very, very hard work. Despite running since the age of six years old, I had built this endurance. And, and so it just, it took a full year of like real hard work of running 70 to 100 miles per day and, you know, getting in all of the yoga for running and CrossFit, personal training. So the World Marathon Challenge would take Becca to Antarctica, Africa, Australia, Asia, Europe, South America, and North America, all within just seven days. You only averaged 24 hours per continent, so you'd go all the way to Australia, you'd run a marathon, get back on the plane, and go to the next location. So we crossed 16 time zones. So there were parts when I'm like, where are, what time is it? Where are we? You know, but I would ask my phone. I'm like, what time is it in Boston? While running in Dubai, Becca was feeling unstoppable. With only two more races to go, she was confident she was going to finish. Until the unthinkable happened. So we finished the Madrid Marathon at like um, 11 a.m. and we're towing the line of Morocco at like midnight. So that was a real quick turnaround. So then I was like, I feel good. And I talked to my dad. I'm like, I'm feeling great. I feel strong. And I was running Dubai. I had two left to go. And I was at mile 24. And I felt this like tear to my groin. And I remember thinking like I was on the ground and I was in excruciating pain. Like my bottom lip was like moving on its own. There was a refrain from Tom Brady who wound up treating me. Um, we didn't come this far to just come this far. And I was like, I did not give up a year of my training and leave my daughter and, you know, get these sponsorships to not finish this race. So I got this email from this, my friend Donna's um, a doctor at Harvard. And he said, I know you don't know me. You probably have a thousand emails, but I'm a doctor at Harvard. Run with your toes facing inward and you'll take the pain off your groin and um, you'll be using other muscles. So I'm like, I'm desperate. I got it. I'll do it. And, and it was awesome, you know, and, and I was able, I crossed the finish line. Becca made it in the Guinness Book of World Records and broke American history by becoming the first American woman to complete the World Marathon Challenge. When I, when I crossed the finish line, like it, it was that much more special because Becca's experience not only tested herself, but it also led to many opportunities. She established the Becca Peasy Scholarship Foundation, which awards scholarships to Belmont High School seniors. And she also has a children's book called Becca's Feet on Feet. Her resilience and determination has inspired many others. But when I asked what inspires her, she simply credits her friends and family. One thing that I did is I checked in with like my inspirations. You know, I called my daughter, I called my friends, I call, you know, I was just listening to their advice. And and the bottom line is that they were so pr proud of me, regardless of what I they knew that I was giving a hundred percent, and that's all that mattered to, in their eyes. And that, and that just meant so much to me is, is your support group and your inspirations behind why you're doing what you're doing.
for WMWM 91.7 and the Soundplay podcast in Salem, Massachusetts. I'm Alba Melendez. Both of these stories are vastly different, but at the core of them, I think a lot of us can find things that we relate to. From overcoming hardships, to being scared and feeling like we're not good enough. I know that I have tried too hard at something, wondering whether or not I will succeed. I have fought to establish life on my own terms, even just in small ways, and to be creative based on my own boundaries. Producing this season of Soundplay comes to mind when I think of the multiple ways that life can challenge us creatively, further allowing us to reach our full potential. I hope you've enjoyed those stories and that you can draw your own connections to how you may see yourself in them. Tune in for the next episode, where we'll be talking about internet subcultures. I'm looking forward to talking you through everything else this season has in store as it progresses. See you next time.